RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And before, yes, the cat's out of the bag. We'll talk about it in a moment. I appreciate all the kind words. But I do want to tell you that um, uh, 71-year-old Mike Jackson, 45, almost 50 years in the business, and fresh off of an amazing match, that had the internet and Twitter going wild on Impact Wrestling. He is going to be with us. You might have seen that Impact match against Johnny Swinger. You might have seen him against the NWA stars back in the Georgia Championship Wrestling days as an enhancement talent, but has a fascinating story. And we're looking forward to talking to him in just a few minutes. But yes, I guess, for at least now, I am back with Impact Wrestling. And uh Scott Demore, the executive vice president, uh, tweeted it. So I guess it's official. Um, yeah, it's funny. If you remember the first time when I ended up going up to Atlanta, if you remember that story, uh, if not, I'll refresh your memory. The night that Gary Capetta was on AEW uh, TV, uh, my wife was going to bed uh, about 11 o'clock after the show was over, after the news. And um, and she kind of stopped going up the stairs because, hey, I stay up a lot later now, especially now because there ain't nothing going on. But um so she was walking up the stairs and she looked at me and kind of like, you know, head tilted. And she said, you weren't upset that they didn't call you, that they called Gary Capetta. And I said, no, not at all. My words were Gary was much more suited for that segment. Uh, he used to do that stuff in WCW. I never did. I'm done with the business and I'm good with it. I'm happy with my podcast. She went up and said, oh, that's good. I'm glad you're, you're, you're happy. And didn't think nothing of it. Two hours later. Scott Demore texted me about doing the TNA play-by-play special and the TNA play-by-play for the pay-per-view that got postponed. So that's how that ended up happening. So fast forward, done with that, thought nothing of it. You know, maybe we'll work together down the road. Maybe we're not. Was what we're watching AEW again? I think it was one, the one for the first one from uh, Ray Lloyd School up in Atlanta, uh, wrestling school up in Atlanta, and um, and she said. I don't know if I'd be comfortable with in the middle of a pandemic with you going up and doing wrestling. Would you accept if they called you, would you accept that? And I said, well, let's put it this way. They're not calling me. So let's not worry about it. Two hours later, I got a text from Scott Demore, and the rest is history. So the, the joke is every time my wife, my wife asked me a question about my future of the business, uh, I should expect to get a text from Scott Demore two hours later. But, um, uh, just funny insight and ironic, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, it's. Uh, I'm happy. I'm gonna be working hard and uh, hope to be there for as long as they'll have me. And um, still gonna keep doing this podcast and keep talking about wrestling and having guests on. Some might be affiliated with Impact, some may not. Uh, and uh, we're gonna keep doing what we've been doing, not change a thing, right now. And uh, and that's that. So hope you guys are safe and. Uh, uh, not drinking too much and and not uh, not going stir crazy because uh, it's been a long time now and hopefully we're going to get back to normal sooner than later. But if you want to hear me and sometimes see me because uh, I will be part of the uh, of the action a little bit without giving away any hints. Uh, if you don't watch Impact, uh, it's a fun show. A lot of young guys and girls, uh, talented people. Uh, every 
Tuesday night on Axis TV, 8 o'clock Eastern time. So if you're interested, check it out. And uh, you'll definitely hear me and you possibly might see my old ass with gray hair. So I'm really interested in talking to my guest this week. Like I had said earlier, some of you may know him from uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling as an enhancement guy. He innovated the enhancement world and was at least in part uh, responsible for me being chosen from Florida to be able to bring up enhancement talent for Jody Hamilton and World Championship Wrestling. And we're going to talk to this man about his incredible story and his 45-plus years in the wrestling business. So please welcome my guest this week, Mike Jackson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week, by my count, and we can confirm, has been in the wrestling business 45-plus years or right about that, and is still active today. If you watch Impact Wrestling or you check out the internet, you just saw him uh, in a match that went viral against Johnny Swinger on Impact Wrestling, and his name is Mike Jackson. Mike, welcome to City Ringside. Pleasure to have you. Hey, it's my pleasure. I don't, I don't get many of these calls anymore. When you said 45-plus years, which is actually true, sometimes I get on that forget and loss column. <laughs> well, you're back in the news, man. Your, your, your segment went viral, and... <laughs> I was I was sitting back there and and one of the reasons I probably have never seen anything like it as far as the reaction of the talent backstage is because I'm usually out by the ring. But besides right. that, you, I would normally hear about something like that, and I don't know if I've ever heard about anything. But we'll get to that because you've had a uh, you've had an amazing career and 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 uh, unique career and uh, a lot of it. Yes. Uh, there's a part of it that sort of inter kind of kind of get uh is it makes kind of interjects with my story as far as when I used to take booking fees cuz I believe you're the one who came up with that but we'll find that out. So <laughs> I, I believe you are but we'll see. That's why we got you. So um so I'm going to blame you when uh, st- next time Stevie Ray gives me a hard time. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 just put it all on me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um it was Jody Hamilton's idea. I always say that that's the truth. So, um, so, so I, it's, it's unique. And this interview is unique is where I could usually, uh, find some background on the talent on the internet and, and, uh, formulate a series of questions. This is going to be, and I like this sometimes better, more like a conversation than I guess an interview. Uh, although I like to have a conversation better because, yeah. um, there was, there's not a lot out there. The, 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 the earliest I could see is that you started in, I believe, 1974 in NWA Mid-America Wrestling. Would that be true? Well, look, go back a little bit before that. I started with independent shows in 1972. My first match was June of 1972, but I was in the business probably at least a year, year and a half before that. I did referee and I put up some – that's how I really got in the business by – you know. It, if you remember back, I don't know how old you are, David. You may not remember this, but back in the day, they used to do the studio TV show. Sure. Uh, and that's when I first got in. And, and the guy that I worked with was the guy that was the referee in Birmingham at Batwell Auditorium where Nick Dulles, I don't know if you remember that name, but Nick Dulles was the NWA at that time. Sure. And we, he ran Batwell Auditorium every Monday night. I was, I loved it. I got in it involved. I started going up to the uh, channel 42 TV station and one thing led to another. The referee's son was the uh, ring, uh, put up the ring and took care of the ring. And he also uh, did the, kept the time for the matches. And this is a little bit of everything. Parked cars in the parking lot. When he went to college, they offered me a job, and I took it. And uh, 
then I started going with the referee on the road to little small towns because he had another job. He would be tired. He wouldn't be able to do all that. Then one thing led to another. I started refereeing. So in 1972, though, I had my first match in Winfield, Alabama, of June of 72. So I've been in the business 50, about 52 years now, wrestling about 51 of them. Wow. Did, um, did you have any formal, you know, did you go to a, back then there really weren't wrestling schools. Somebody had to take you under their wing. Who took you under their, their wing? Well, to be honest with you, the referee, the guy that refereed in Birmingham was a name, but guy named Bob Holland. He was the main, he refereed every Monday night. He was the only referee back in those days. I know, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but they didn't have 10, 12, 15 matches back in the day. I've got to do paper clippings. I looked at them the other day, just bored to death from this virus, not being able to do anything brought out the old scrapbook, all they had in those days were like three matches. And most of them were two out of three falls. If you remember that. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't remember that, but I've read about that. I got an, yep. uh, interested around 77 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida championship wrestling from Florida. And I remember yeah. every, every Friday night they do a, a show at the Fort Lauderdale national guard armory. And the same night I later found out they would do a, a half the, uh, the squad at Tallahassee. So we, we were lucky yeah. if we we were like if we our our regular was four matches if we got five matches it was yeah, spectacular yeah. it was a spectacular and if Dusty Rhodes came it was an instant sellout before it oh, sold yeah. out before anybody even walked out of the building uh, yeah you know yeah. they sold out at intermission so but um, yeah well in those in those days if you had eight guys on the card that was pretty good usually had a couple of tags and an opening match and two out of threes and you know that was a that was the hour and a half two hour program and that was pretty much it in those days. So, but nobody ever trained me. I, I know this is hard to believe and people don't believe me when I tell it, but I really trained myself. I watched people. I, I got in the ring, you know, and did some things myself and learned to learn this, learn that, whatever the case was. And, and I never had anybody sit down with me and just say, okay, this is how you do an arm, a bar. This is how you do a, a leg hold or whatever the case might be. I just did it on my own. I, I really picked it up. Uh, I, I guess I was, the good Lord had it destined for me to do it, I guess. I guess you mentioned Boutwell Auditorium. You know, I've I've been all over yes. the world and and all over the U.S. with WCW and TNA, and um, and uh, I played in a lot of buildings. And I've always said uh -huh. that my my two favorite buildings, as far as crowd reaction and and organic reaction, were the Township Auditorium in Columbus, Columbia, South Carolina, and the Boutwell uh -huh. Auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, did oh, you? Ever so you've been there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've been the ring announcer. Yeah. behind the scenes when I when I was just a stooge for WCW, bringing up the enhancement guys. And um, yeah, yeah. It's it's just those two places for whatever reason. Not the biggest places in the world. They don't see twenty thousand people or ten thousand people. But no, uh, no. something about those two buildings and the fans in those two towns uh, always I always look forward to going there because I knew it was going to be an electric uh, reaction. Uh, yes, just, it was. They, they just sort of bought in. So about well, about well on Monday night, if you didn't, they always started at eight 30. That was always the starting time at eight 30. If you didn't get there earlier, if you didn't reserve your seats, they usually sell it. That place held about 4,700 people. And it was just about, you could just about depend on 4,000 plus every Monday night. It was really good. Wow. With three matches too. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so, it. Three matches. Yep. So 1974 NWA mid America, uh, that was Alabama, Tennessee is, was that, um, was that uh uh oh god now I can't remember his name you mentioned his name before uh who was the promoter for that Nick Goulas Nick Goulas that's who I was trying to think of yeah I was trying to think yes. of his son George George I know he teamed with Bob as, as the Jet Set yeah so I was just trying to yep, think of the yep, last yep. name so Nick Goulas and and 
Uh, it seems like you got a pretty good spot on the card. Um, how is it to be in the mix, so to speak, and to be sort of a celebrity around town? Well, I started, like I said, I did a lot of independent shows for about a year and a half. And then I didn't, I wasn't making any money, but I do, I do appreciate the guys that gave me that chance to do it because that's what I want to do. In those days, it's like every young wrestler when they first get in the business, unless they really get a good push and a good start, money's not the object. You know, they just want to get in and be a part of it and do what they dreamed all their life to do. And, uh, but then after a while, you figure, you know, if I'm going to do this and take a chance, I need to make some, some pretty good money. But but Nick Gillis gave me my first job in 1973 at, at Battle Auditorium on Christmas night. Christmas night and Thanksgiving night used to be big nights for wrestling. Sure. And uh, I, I started my first night with him there. And then probably a little bit two months later, me and a guy named Tony Ledoux was my tag team partner. We were the Birmingham duo. We uh, quit our jobs and moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and he gave us a full-time job. We lived in Nashville, and then we started working instead of once or twice a week. We were working seven or eight times a week, so, you know, we fulfilled our dream. And there were some great guys there. I don't know if you remember the name Tojo Yamamoto and sure, Jackie, sure. Far- Jackie Fargo and Lynn Rossi, Mario Milano, Corsica Joe, Chinley. That was the guys that was there. They were the John Cena's of the day. You know, they were the Johnny Swingers of this day, you know what I'm saying, of, of that day. They uh and, and, and drew big crowds everywhere. I mean, they were just super, super people. And, you know, it, it drew big. I mean, we Birmingham was on Monday. And then you know, Tuesday, you might do Louisville, Kentucky. And Wednesday, you do Nashville. Thursday, you might do Bowling Green or you might do uh, Louisville. Uh, Friday night was Huntsville or Tupelo. Like you were saying, there were two shows, you know, running every night. There were so many guys they had, you know, uh, uh, contracted that you uh, – you know, there was two shows going. You just picked up one group out of the Memphis would do one side. Birmingham would do one side. So you'd have your Birmingham towns for the week, and then you'd have your Memphis side for the week. So whichever side you were, oh, that's where you went. At some point, and, they split, and um, we all know Jerry Jarrett took the Memphis, uh, uh, Louisville, yeah. Nashville part of the territory. Right. And I think Nick Goulas kept the uh, Alabama uh, part of the territory for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. were, you, were you there when that all went down? I was, I definitely was. And I, and, and I'll be honest with you uh, again, Nick Goodis, I, he gave me my first real, real opportunity to do anything on the big stage. And I, I appreciated him, but the, the big money was in the Memphis area, Memphis and Louisville and, and, uh, uh Lexington and, and uh, Tupelo, Mississippi and Jonesboro, Arkansas, but Memphis on Monday night at mid South Coliseum. Now you're talking instead of 4,700 people, you're talking 17,000, you know, you, they, they got the mid South Coliseum there. Yeah, Jerry Lawler was there. Jerry Jarrett was there. They had Bobo Brazil. I mean, they were some of the great, great names that were there at that time. Dennis Condry. I mean, it was some really, really – and you always wanted to get that Memphis side because you knew that was going to be a double payoff uh, just about every night. Sure. Tell me about Jerry but Lawler. I was there. If you, were, if, you were, if you were there, and I'm assuming you were when Jerry I Lawler was. broke in, tell, tell, me, tell me about watching the young Jerry Lawler break in. When did what, – what did you originally think when you saw him? Was he a natural like a Randy Orton? Uh, he was. And, 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 and how long before you realized that this guy was really going to be the, the king of Memphis, Tennessee? Well, believe it or not, the first the, my first full time job is when Nick Gillis hired us is the time that Jerry Lawler came in. If you remember a name, Sam Bass, you remember sure. that name? Yes, sir. Sam Bass was was with him, and and Jerry came in, 
And, you know, some guys are just destined for big things. You know, we worked together for years. We wrestled each other many times. Matter of fact, he come, I run a lot of shows for fundraisers around here for the schools and all that need money. Sometimes Jerry will come work for me at a decent price and, you know, and draw me a big crowd and he helps me out. But, but, uh, uh, you know, Jerry was a smart guy. You know, some of these guys get in it just for the body part of it. Some guys get in it for the brain and the body. And that's guys like Ted DiBiase. And, you know, they're not satisfied with just wrestling. They're satisfied. They want to be part of, the, of what's going on. They want to be part of the business. And uh, Jerry Lawler was like that. He just had a mind for it. And him and Jerry Jarrett put something together that was really big. And uh, I remember I've got scrapbook things here in uh, wrestling in Memphis in front of on sellout crowds. You know, uh, matter of fact, he and I, uh, me and Tommy Gilbert, if you remember that name, yeah, one night at the uh, mid, yeah, me and Tommy Gilbert were was against him and Lou Fez in the main event at the mid mid South Coliseum in '74. You know, uh, that was probably one of my biggest thrills. You know, wow, so, wow, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, so Lawler was, you know, he he still works hard, and you know, even I, I use him. I'm 71, almost 71, and he's probably right up close to my age. I don't know exactly how old he is. He he looks a lot younger than me. I don't know what he does, but whatever he does, I wish I was doing it. <laughs> but uh, he he looks pretty good, and he always comes. And every time I use him, he he works hard. You know, you know. Sometimes if I have him and some of these other guys, you know, I, I like I don't know if you've ever heard of Bullet Bob Armstrong, but he's a legend around here in of the course. south. Oh, he's the man. And I use my Bob's eighty something, and Bob still wrestles and wrestles well. And I'll, I'll I'll team with him and try to do as much work as I can, so Bob don't have to do a lot. But I'll turn around and Bob's wanting a tag. You know, he's just it's in his blood. He's like Jerry Lawler. Jerry wants that tag. He comes in. I watched him the other night. He was throwing drop kicks and all that. I said, "Gosh, Jerry, slow down a little bit." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just uh, you know, I, it's just in their blood. And Jerry Jerry just had that mindset that he was going to do more than just be a guy that's just you know his body. Your body's going to wear down sooner or later. I mean, it's in this business. It's not are you going to have injury. It's, it's when you're going to have one the if is out you're gonna have them i've had several and uh you know someone sidelines you for a while but he knew he knew he was good destined for bigger things so uh was uh, i'm assuming lance russell was doing the the, the commentary when you were there he, he and david brown yes. talk, talk, talk to me about working with those guys because those guys uh, aside from being two of the nicest guys in the business uh you know mm-hmm. both legends especially lance more than dave just because lance mm-hmm. uh uh, was the main guy and, and Dave had, a, you know, uh, he was a weather guy. So it's just a part-time gig, but both great. Yeah, yeah. They did. Tell me about working with those two guys. They, they were, uh, they, we did Memphis TV on Saturday mornings and then you'd go to Jonesboro, Arkansas, probably that night, if you were on the card and the day on the show, but, uh, they did a great job. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I did a thing, uh, you've heard of the Charlotte fan fest that they do every year. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I did one about, oh gosh, well, I've, I've done it every year, but I, about three or four years ago, I was fortunate, you know, they have the, they have the Hall of Heroes dinner on Friday night and, uh, David and Lance were at my table. We had a table, you know, where they, they let a couple of wrestlers or, or whatever, uh, sit with the, the fans and they answer some questions, ask questions during the, uh, during the supper and, and answer and stuff like that. And David and Lance were there. They're class acts. Good job very articulate about what they did, studied, studied the business and, and knew it, you know, hand and foot. They, they were really, really good. Worked one, well get weather's a team. Yeah. One of the things about Lance, uh, you know, you could say Gordon Soley was the best of all time, but one of the things about Lance, him and him and Gene Okerlund, I've never seen two other people who are as adept mm-hmm. to carrying an interview for guys who maybe couldn't talk as well, or even guys like Lawler who could talk a lot, but who would play off of Lance yeah. Russell. And he, he always played yeah. the straight guy and the, you know, come on, Jerry, you know, uh, 
you know, it, it, I think that's really one of the things that's that he's underrated for because uh, you know that's yeah, a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the great talkers of the '70s and '80s started out at some point probably working with Lance. I know a lot of the great talkers of the current time and the and the you know t- last 10, 15 years credit working with Gene Okerlund. You know, uh, same thing. Yes. So so two of the best. Yes, um, yes. Do you ever get it? I'm, I'm sure you got a chance if you main evented to do uh, interviews with them. How how was it? Do you ever get to do a heel interview where you got to insult him? Call Tell me you had a big nose. <laughs> no, I never did. But be honest, I've been in this business. This is like I said, 51, 52 years. And I've probably been the bad guy maybe, maybe three or four times. I just couldn't do it. Uh, I, I just, it wasn't my persona. So I, I just never did really do that. I did some interviews with those guys, but I never, never talked bad about their nose. <laughs> so, so when you main evented the Mid-South Coliseum, Luthez was the heel in that one? He was, he and Jerry, what we had done the week before was the first time I'd ever been involved in this. I was just new. This was like 74. I was just getting, uh, you know, cause I, I did my Christmas night, 73 was my first, you know, big time match with Nick Gulas. And then when they sent me there, that was probably in the next, you know, few months. And all this new was the uh, big stuff was really new to me. Cause I was used to working in front of just small crowds, these little independent shows, hit and run type thing. But when we went there, they were doing the first time ever, if you remember, it, 70s came out with a two-ring battle royal. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do. They put the two rings side by side. And, and man, that night we were there, and I didn't have any idea, you know, what to do, who to talk to, what, to, you know, I just knew that we, me and my partner were there. But it was a two-ring battle royal, and the, and the deal was the last two left in ring one wrestled the last two left in ring two. And it came down to me and Tommy Gilbert, and it was a—I mean, this was—I mean, this was Earl Maynard, Bobo Brazil, Phil Hickerson, Dennis Condry, George Harris, the Mighty Yank. I mean, this was a, a big. This was—I was in hog heaven. I'll just say that. <laughs> but but when it ended up, when it ended up, it was me and Tommy Gilbert left in ring two against, and then Lawler and Fez were left in ring one. And the stipulation was on the next Monday night for the main event, you came back and you and you—that was the uh, the match for the next uh, Monday night, and uh. That was my match, me and Tommy Gilbert against Luthez and Jerry Lawler for the uh, main event. So most people who uh, know you, like myself, I, I, I didn't watch um, Memphis and Mid-South and uh, NWA Mid-America in the 70s, but I did watch uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling uh, right. uh, every Saturday night at 6.05 on the Superstation TBS. Uh, it was must-see viewing until, right, Freddie, right. until Freddie Miller came on and said and introduced Vince McMahon, but that's a whole different story. But um, <laughs> yeah. But but most people are probably uh, more familiar with you of you with you uh, from being a stalwart of what I guess they would call enhancement talent back in the day. I think they called them jobber. No disrespect. I just think that's what they were. No, no. They did not. No, no. Well, yeah, that's exactly what they called. But let me let me explain this. You know, in this business, there's a lot of one liners. Uh, Locke probably has the, the the lock stock of all of them. But he said this, and, and, and guys, and if there's anybody listening to this thing out there that's a young wrestler or working independent shows or wanting to go to the big time or whatever, listen to what I'm saying, because Rock said this, and nobody picked up on it, but I did. He said, one of his one-liners was, you've got to know your role. You remember him saying that? Absolutely. Know your role. Well, when I went to, Jerry Jarrett called me in 1974, and I, I, or seven, yeah, somewhere around in 74, 75, 76 here, somewhere around in that era. And he called me and said, look, you know, we want you to come over and do some TV for us in Atlanta. Well, you know, in, in, back in the day, do you remember territories? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Well, see, Nick Gillis was a territory. We were working every night in these territories. But, you know, once you're there for a while, till like a year, two years or something, you know, your popularity, be, we were hot as fire there, a young tag team for a while. But then we began to dwindle. Those eight, eight, week, eight shows a week bookings began to get six and then four and then two. And then finally, you're doing it for a living. you got to make a living. You know, so Jerry Jarrett called me. He said, "Would you would you come to Atlanta TV and do a, a do a TV show?" And he met me in Memphis. You know, working in, in Memphis, and he and I said, "By all means, I'll come." Because I wasn't doing a whole lot for Doulas at that time. I, my bookings were getting down. wasn't making a lot of money, having to come home a lot instead of staying where I needed to stay and stuff like that. So I ended up going over to TV and I worked with Ray Stevens. If you remember Ray Stevens, the AWA Heavyweight Champion. I think you think uh-huh. I'm a lot younger than I am. I'm I'm gonna be 54. <laughs> I'm gonna be 54 in less than a month. So yeah, I remember all that stuff. Well, you remember that. But I worked with Ray Stevens on that TV show. We had like a six or seven minute match. Never saw the guy in my life, but he treated me like like we were best friends and, and good people. He we had a great match. Uh, it got me. Uh, it, they called me as soon as we left. Can you come back next week? And you know, and, and but the main thing was I was I was down on money. And I got a check in the mail for $135, and I thought, and this is 1974 now, or 75, somewhere in that area. Remember, gas was probably 25 cents a gallon at that time, you know. So I get a check in the mail be, for $135. It's going to be back there soon, so, uh, but yeah, that's I hope a whole, so. whole, I hope whole different so. story. So go on, I'm sorry. But I got, I, yeah, I got the check in the mail, and I thought, this is stupid. I'm working two or three times. I'm driving 400 miles, of, uh, you know, for this, that, and the other, and I'm driving over here to Atlanta. I'm making this kind of money, so. When they started calling me, and, and, and so long story short, Ole, was, Ole Anderson was the booker. Jerry Jarrett had a lot to do with everything. He was in the office. So they asked me. I, I just told them. I had three or four guys that worked independent shows with me that were good hands. And I said, look, do you need anybody else? They said, yeah. Because back in those days, it was job guys. I mean, I, I, you can call it anything you want to call it now, but that's what it was. We were job guys. And. And, and, and so they needed guys to put go out there to work with Dusty Rhodes or, or, or Ivan Koloff or Ole Anderson or whoever. So I said, look, I got four or five guys. One thing led to another. I ended up with 37 guys working for me, and I, I worked for Bill Watts uh, uh, for the championship with Gordon Soley, and Dusty was there. Uh, I worked for uh, uh, AWA up in Canada and all. I took guys. So at Puerto Rico, Carlos Colon, I worked the show with him one night, and he got me. And I, I took guys to Puerto Rico, but I knew my role. I was never going to be six foot seven and, and weigh 280 pounds. Of course, I'd like to have been five foot seven and weighed 150 pounds, but I wasn't. So the bottom line is I knew my role. And if I was going to do this, you know, I, I had a lot of guys walk away and say, no, we're not working with those guys. We're not going to get beat up on TV. And that's, that's embarrassing, you know? So, but the good thing was they respected my talent and they gave me good matches. You know, I didn't win them all. I did win a few and didn't win some. I got to go to Omni and wrestle. I got to go to Superdome and wrestle and stuff like that. So my, 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 my being what I was going to be and, and taking that role, you know, it, it made it be where I'm at today. So, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Just to be clear on a couple of things. First, no matter what you call it, job enhancement, whatever, it was as crucial right. as it was as crucial as a role as there was in the business, because uh, if the whole point was to make people want to buy tickets in their city to see the guy, the right. guys that you were wrestling, wrestle each other. Right. Because uh, right. I had feuds going on. And if you didn't make those guys look good, nobody wants to go pay money to see them. Right. You know, everybody is everybody's not a star. I mean, those guys that sit down in that office and say, you know, hey, these guys are, are, are ahead above everybody else. That's their business. That's what they get paid for. That's not my job. 
My job was to make sure, and I'll tell you a little, a funny story. When, when Ole Anderson was, was a very sharp man, very smart booker, he believed in wrestling. He didn't believe in a lot of the high-flying stuff that they do today and stuff like that, which I try to combine old school and new school together. But he believed in just getting a hold. Like, you know, if, if you remember him and Arn and Gene Anderson, all they did was get an arm and crank on it until somebody said, I quit. Sure. And, and don't think they couldn't make you quit if you didn't want to quit. Oh, you know, I, I'm serious. Um, no, oh. I believe you. I was there for some <laughs> But they, you know, they believe they believed in that and, and that sort of thing, and it just it just propelled me. And you know, they they put me in a lot of good tag matches. I worked with a lot of Rock and Roll Express, uh, uh, the uh, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton, the Fantastics, and you know, Ivan Koloff a lot. And, and guys respected me for what I did, but I understood what I was supposed to do. Matter of fact, a guy from my church came to me one day and he said, "Look, have you seen this thing on the internet?" I said, "No." He said, "There, they came out with the five top job guys in the world." And he said, do you know where you're at? I said, probably, I don't know. He said, you're number two. I thought, number two? He said, does that make you mad? I said, absolutely not. I'm just glad somebody respected that, you know. You know uh, Steve, Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Baller, was number one. I was number two, you know. So, you know, what can you say? Uh, it's made me a good living. It's it's made me some good money. I've been able to travel. I've been able to meet good people. It's like the impact thing, you know, the impact on the show. I was flattered to death to be, uh, be a part of that. You know, at my age, not too many people at that caliber is calling and saying, Hey, can you come work for us? <laughs> so, you know, I, I credit all of that back to Atlanta and back in the day. And Gordon Soley, you mentioned him. He helped me so much. <clears throat> he, he to me was the best ever, but, uh, I would fly to Tampa. He would pick me up at the airport. He would not do that for anybody, but he would pick me up at the airport, take wow. me to the sportatorium, you know, take me to the sportatorium and then do the show, take me back to the airport to fly home or do that night show, whatever. But he, he really helped me. And, you know, uh, he's, he's one really got that Alabama junior heavyweight champion wrestling thing going. I, I don't know if there was a championship after probably in the, in the early eighties, but he kept that thing going because I was over there till about 88 and, and, you know, working on the TV every week. So, I, I got a lot of credit, a lot of guys that helped me out considerably, but, but, you know, I understood my role. I did it to the very best of my ability and I did it with the right attitude. You know, sure. uh, I'll tell you a little of that story. I was going to tell you only Anderson came to me. I don't know if you remember when, when, when road warrior animal came to, came to Georgia championship last. Yeah. He came he nothing like probably, what he ended up being. Oh gosh. No, he had a little pair of cut off shorts, like a construction worker. And he was a killer. I mean, he, he was a, he was a, 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 a I mean, he, he didn't know anything. He didn't know one from two, but all Ole told him was to go in there and be strong. And he was, and, and ended up when Hawk came in, I I was married to those guys. It seemed like, you know, Ole just kind of pulled me off the side. He said, look, you got to teach these guys how to work or they're going to kill somebody. So I was, <laughs> I was when they were killing every week. So Funny story. One day in Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. But you know, if you know what you're doing, you know, if you know what you're doing and they respect what you're doing for them, it's not as bad as, as you'd think it would be. You know, guys that went in there would try to rough handle them or, or rough them up a little bit or try to try to get stuff over on them. That's the guys that got their brains beat out. You know, I did what I was supposed to do. They gave me my part. I took my part, respected that, and they respected the part I did. But one day on their uh, halt, he got me pretty good. He nailed me really hard, and he apologized. I mean, he came – I saw him out there so later. But I, I tell my guys that I work with – don't ever cry. If you're going to cry, or get a job at Walmart. They hire every day. Go down to Walmart work. If you don't, if you can't take this, and if people don't believe this is a rough business, but it is very rough. It's hard, whether That's you believe it or not. And people that don't have to do it, sit at home and watch it on TV. It's like the like the like the uh, Sunday armor quarterback. They can tell you everything that the quarterback should have done, but they're not out there playing. But uh, 
Hawk, he got me pretty good. And he said something, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, and I said, look, next time hit me harder. I shouldn't have said that because the next time he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm thinking to myself, don't ever say that to anybody else again. But, you know, working with those guys, traveling with those guys, and, you know, just being a part of, of, of that. I never was a main event at WrestleMania. I never was. I never will be. But I was I was underneath. I was in those uh, those dark matches. I was on opening matches. But it's easy for guys to understand this, especially guys in that position today. That's an easy job. You're making a good living. You're you're on big shows. You're doing good things, and you don't have to put butts in seats. Those main event people are the one that they're looking at to say, "Hey, are we drawing seventeen thousand people with you as main event?" That you don't have to worry about when you're the curtain jerk. You see what that makes sense, David? No, absolutely. So let me get this clear because <laughs> I think it's very interesting. If I'm if I'm hearing this right, you and correct me if I'm wrong. You made a business decision purely business that it would be more economically feasible for you to not be a star, but be the guy who, yep. uh, who, who, uh, who, who put the other guys over who worked the opening matches, you know, on the house shows and stuff like that, than to be a star yep. in a small territory, not making as much money. Is that correct? No. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And what I would do, I would do that part that you just said. And then when I wanted to be a star, I would go that night wrestling these independent shows and then i would be the star so if i wanted to be a star i could be a star but i knew i was never going to be that working with guys with the greats like dusty Rhodes and ivan koloff and, and, and larry zabisco and i worked with all those guys and they were up there and i knew they were going to be up there and i wasn't so i could have walked away and, and 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 we wouldn't be having this conversation today or i could have done it and knew my role and do it and just do it with the right attitude and, and uh, make good money and go places. You know, at, at times I was flying all over the country doing stuff, you know, cause they, you know, they said, Hey, we want Mike Jackson to come do in Puerto Rico, what he's doing in Atlanta. So, Hey, uh, uh, who's the winner? You know, that's what I looked at. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that fascinating. What also people you, you alluded to what people don't realize, cause I'll just give you a personal example. When I was booking guys up in WCW for Jody Hamilton, uh, Bob Cook was one of my regular guys. He came up almost every uh -huh. week. And, you know, Bob, Bob Cook, same, you know, not a little bit bigger than you, but same type of attitude. You know, he was, you know, happy just doing he knew his role, yep. like you said, and he was happy making the money. And um, but what people don't understand is when you wrestle Arn Anderson on a Saturday evening uh, in front of millions of people and you throw a punch like like Bob had or you throw a drop kick like you had and Arn goes down and, and, and you look like for a split second you might actually beat him. And the way Gordon sold it, too, you know. Gordon always sold it as as, yep. as 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 you as there was a chance you could, not that it was a foregone conclusion. And and so then right. when you go to smaller uh, independent shows, when I would go with Bob to the small shows in uh, in Tampa and, and Fort St. Lucie and all the different towns here, uh, the fans would see him as as a, hey, I saw you on TV. You almost beat Arn Anderson. Exactly. But, you know, so so that made him a star. Maybe not Arn Anderson, yep. but not everybody could be Arn Anderson. And, you know, not everybody's going to wrestle exactly. in front of 10,000 people in a major uh, arena, but you could still make a good living and uh, yep. and, and have a have a good career, you know, putting the guys over and yeah. then going to your back to your hometown and uh, and being the star who almost beat the, the big bigger star. And I, I think that's part that 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 people don't realize in the whole big scheme of things. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I got a lot of house shows out of this too, you know, even yeah. Atlanta, WCW, Georgia championship. And, 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 uh, I, I got some good house shows because, you know, if they were running two or three shows a night or doing a tour, you know, they would look and who's the first person they pick me. 
good attitude, get, do the thing, do what you got to do. You know, and I won a lot of those kind of matches on there because I'd go with, with uh, Dale Beasy or, or Ted Allen or Pat Rose or some of those guys, and, and, and it may pick me up a win, so it's even better for me. But, you know, I, I'm – to me, it's a business. I treat it strictly as a business. I don't treat, I'm not a Saturday night hero. I, I've got a belt here. I've been the United States junior champion 10 times and I got a belt here. It's not worth a dime. You can buy them on the internet all day long. You know what I mean? You go to a show, everybody's a champion. Everybody's got a belt. You know, it don't mean anything anymore. So, you know, I could be the champion if I wanted to be, but you know, it, I decided a long time ago, if this is going to do what I do for a living, if this is going to make money. I need to make money at what I'm doing, you know? And and this is what I decided to do, and I was making money. They they needed me and my men more than I needed them, if that makes any sense to you. Because in those days, without all the big contracts, they had to have guys to work with Dusty Rhodes, and they had to have guys to work with Larry Zabisco and Ivan Koloff and, and those guys, and Jake the Snake and those guys. You know, so we were we were in much demand. We were working, you know, we were working three or four times a week. I was making more money. I have two master's degrees and, and taught school and quit teaching school because I was making three times more money a week than I was teaching school just by traveling and, and, and doing these shows. And I'm flying, you know, hotels, food. I mean, they're treating us good. And, uh, you know, it, it, so I think I made a good decision. I still stick by it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's called a business for a reason. And some people don't, exactly. some people don't get that. A lot of people do. And I'm glad that to, to hear your perspective because it's unique. Um, yeah, yeah. When you say that people needed you more than you needed them. I mean, that, 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 I always wondered why Jody Hamilton would use some kid uh, from Florida to uh, drive up a bunch of enhancement guys. And I guess that's the mm-hmm. reason. I guess he needed the guys. Right. And instead of having to go scout Florida and figure out who which who could work and who couldn't work, it was a lot easier to, uh, yep. to, to have me, you know um, – bring the guys up and scout them a little bit beforehand. And he, Jody made it clear over the course of time, what he wanted and who he didn't like. And I got it quick. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I knew what to look for that. And that brings me back to sort of where our paths intersect. When did you decide, Hey, I could start taking a little bit from the, my guys for booking them and, and getting them the booking, getting them the payday and driving them in a van or whatever. When did that click to you? And, uh, and 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 we I'm pretty sure you're the first person probably who did it, correct? I don't know about that, but but uh, I, the reason I did that, and, and I don't know if I would do it today. And, and but let me tell you what happened on that. JJ Dillon and Dusty Rose were were the bosses over there in in Atlanta, and they called me and they say, look, you know, we want we should bring four guys this week to Atlanta TV. Then the four got to be ten, then it got to be twelve, then it got to be fifteen, and finally, JJ Dillon is a very good friend of mine and, and, and not because of what he did, but it, it really helped it out a lot a long time ago. What he did, he handed me, I don't know if people don't know this, but I was one of the, the I was one of the TV bookers in Atlanta from probably 74 to probably 84. Nobody knew that cause I was never, you know, n- known as that or never seen as that. But what they would do, JJ would hand me a sheet and he would say, okay, look, or Ronnie West would hand me a sheet and say, look, Here's the guys we need for TV. Here's Dusty Rose, Larry Zabisco, Ivan Koloff, uh, Jake the Snake, whatever the case might be. Just the list goes endless, you know. Six matches on tape one, six on two. You put the guys with them who you want to put. The Road Warriors, whoever it is, you put them, you, you do this. So I had all the TV booking. And so J.J. backed me up on this thing. He said, uh, Ronnie West, same thing. He said, look, if you guys want to work, 
you call Mike Jackson. It just made their job easier. That way, they didn't have to make twenty five calls on 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 a, sure. on a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, and they could just call me and say. And, and they came to Terry. I, I did the same thing with WWF. Terry Garvin called me and did the same thing. And he even came to me and told me, he said, look, I love the way you do this. It's so organized. I don't have to worry about anybody. But I was a very responsible person. If somebody didn't show up, I took the heat for it. I didn't blame nobody because the car broke down or the wife was sick or some bull crap. <clears throat> I was man enough to stand up and say he was supposed to be here. If there's any heat, I, I need it. And, and I was getting them a thing that they couldn't get themselves. And so I wasn't charging them a fortune, probably twenty five dollars a show. And they were making a hundred, hundred and fifty a show. So they were doing pretty good on the on the uh, deal. And what I would do is I would rent the vans. If we'd say we'd go to Daytona, Florida for WWF, I remember we did this one. I would rent the van or two. I'd take care of all the hotel arrangements. I would make sure they all got their pay. I'd take care of all the food. They didn't have to worry about it. they didn't have a pay a penny out. All they went and did is did a job and got paid, and we came back home. So they didn't have anything to worry about, about calling anybody. I did all the calling. So I, I didn't think at that time it was, uh, it was you know, a really, really a bad thing. I, no, I thought, no, I, thought hey, I was doing them a favor. That's yeah. how I got in the business. So don't get me wrong. That's yeah. how I got in the business. Jody yeah. said, Jody said, we'll, we'll rent you guys a car and, uh, we'll rent your car and we'll pay for the gas. And, uh, yeah. the, you know, the guys are, will be happy to give you 20, 25 bucks to get them a $150 booking on national television. Right. And those who aren't or don't understand the big scheme of things like you do, you know, like exactly. you did so as far exactly. as being in business. So, you know, so all of a sudden this, this guy who was a, uh, uh, a DJ who had a dream of being in the wrestling business was, was, was the Florida booker for uh, WCW. You were not there at the time. Did you have a falling out with Jody at some point? Uh, I worked with Jody a, a bunch of times. Matter of fact, I, I rode with him a couple of times when I was in Florida Championship Wrestling. I'd go down and spend a week or two with Dory Funk was doing the booking, and I'd call him and he'd say, "Yeah, come on down for the week or two weeks or whatever." And I, I'd stay in the little projects, uh, little apartments that they stayed at, and uh, I would ride with Jody to a, I think to Miami a couple of times or whatever. Yeah, I know Jody, respect him real well. He's one of the best workers in the business. Flame, uh, I mean the uh, the uh, assassins. He was one of the best in the bit. Came to Birmingham and did a flame thing with Bullet Bob and Continental and did really, really well. But yeah, Jody, Jody was kind of doing the same thing. He, he had a lot of hand in the TV and stuff. But yeah, I respect him greatly. Yeah. At, at some, but at some point, did you guys have a falling out because you weren't around? They had Rip Rogers bringing guys. They had the Italian Stallion and George South bringing guys. Uh, me bringing. Well, George guys. worked. For, yeah, George worked for me for a lot. I'm the one who got George started in this thing. George is super nice. That great Christian guy. Great guy, trains still has a training school and does real good with, with people. Matter of fact, I just been using one of the girls up here that he trained is doing a really good job. As a matter of fact, she was on Impact the other night. Uh, uh, I forgot the name. She did some interviews with some of the guys on the on the show last week. But uh, uh, those guys were working for me. But I'm assuming, and, and what happened? <clears throat> you know, you kind of get wore out. You've been on there for so many. You've been on there every week for eight years, six years, ten, whatever the case might be. And it probably some new people in there, but I don't think we've ever really had any words or, or you know, we, I respected what he did, I respected what I did, but we were both doing the same thing. You know, you're, we're both shooting for the same apple. So, you know, sure. I guess there was a point where he thought, you know, hey, man, I need to do this. And, you know, uh, Mike Jackson's going to take part of this if I don't do it. But, you know, I, I don't have any hard feelings. I respect that. Matter of fact, I did a show with him. It's been about, it's probably been a couple of years, not too long ago in Barnesville, Georgia. They did a, me and Ricky and Robert and, and Flame and I think uh, uh, Ron Simmons. There was several guys there. We did a we did a fan fest and a wrestling show there. And uh, I talked to Jody. I think, as a matter of fact, I think we sat beside each other. 
but uh you know, I respect his talent and what he did, and, and I imagine he's probably still got a hand in it somewhere, knowing Joe. No, no, not anymore. Um, he's, he's not. He's, uh-huh. he, no, he's happily retired and uh, doing well. Um, so, 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 who are some of the most more generous guys you now in the business, as far as you know, when you're working in matches enhancement talent, as far as uh, the you know giving you a chance to shine off the top of your head? Who well, are some of the more generous? Oh, gosh, without a doubt, uh, Ivan Koloff was one of the very best. I mean, we, I never had a bad match with Ivan Koloff. And, you know, he, he always was well – he always took care of you. He was just a great guy. Uh, there's a great match on the Internet with me and Ric Flair. I don't know if you've ever seen the thing it's where funny, I put him it's, in the figure four. It's funny that you mentioned that, Mike, because today I was looking on Twitter before we taped this today, and somebody found that – you know how Twitter is. Everybody knows Everybody yeah. knows what they're – you know. And, and somebody put it on and, and was kind of mocking that, oh, look, this was the world heavyweight champion at the time and gave Mike Jackson 50% of the match. And Dave Meltzer, yeah, Dave Meltzer came back on uh, again, you know, uh, and said and replied to the guy who said that and said, yeah, and that year was the highest drawing year that Ric Flair ever had. So, you know, sort of yeah, saying, yeah. you know, that's 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 what a world champion is supposed to do. Make you think that anybody could beat him on any given night. That's why that's why you yeah. pay your money to come out and see your local hero uh, try to win the world heavyweight title. People just don't get it. But yeah, yeah that yeah, match I, that match is sort of in the news today as we speak. Yeah, I, I did that match with him. He scared me. I did stuff I didn't know I could do. I mean, that's just because he was he was one of the greatest. I put him in the figure four. I don't know if you saw that part on there, and I had no idea how to do that. I, I didn't know how to do it, but he. But uh, somehow I ended up with it on him. I suplexed him over the top rope into the ring, and <clears throat> I did head scissors. I mean, he. I, I just did. I, I just set up and listened. That was the smartest thing that you do. And sometimes you just let the you you let the smarter lead, and and he led, and I followed, and and uh, it was great. I've had several matches with him over the years, but he was always good. But see, they, you can go out on TV. I mean, just I I wrestled with a lot of guys on the TV. Say I, say I wrestled. Uh, Ivan Koloff. Well, now he could go out there and pound me in the ground for eight, eight, six or eight minutes and kick me, and I never even have an offensive move. What good did that do him? What yeah, what, what what good did it do the TV? Who wants to watch that? No, that's absolutely. like watching the Chicago Bears beat the uh, Packers fifty nine to nothing. Everybody gets bored after a while. That's just touchdown after touchdown, you know. Yeah. But to make a match out of it and, and and make some of these close one two two almost three finishes, and they think God, Mike Jackson could have won that thing with just uh, a tenth of a second. He's got to win, you know. Boom. But, but, you know, he understood that I need to go out there and have a good match with somebody. And, and I'm proud of this, but he would come through the dressing room and he would look at guys and he would, he would lock up with them. I mean, I, I'm serious. He would, <clears throat> he would pick somebody out of the trance and lock up with him. And he'd say, okay, next guy, lock up with him. But he would come through the dressing room and he would pick me to work with. You know, I did a couple six-man tags, you know, against him and, and with Arn and Tully and, and different things. But I had – two or three, four single matches with him over the years, and, and all of them were classics. You know, I got them on. I sell the DVD. I'm not trying to plug that, but I do sell the DVD <laughs> with my great my greatest matches on there. Yeah, <laughs> I do I do have one, and uh, and he is he is on every one of them. I've had six volumes of those things. High Spots out of Charlotte does it for me. But they uh, but he's on every one of them. It's one of my claim to fame matches. But he, he was always good, and he was smart. And if guys would look, listen to him, guys like Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, I always had good matches with those guys. They did li- watch him and listen to him. But if they would listen to him and watched him, they would have saw that going out there and just beating up a piece of meat, it's like you just beat a wash rag. You didn't beat nobody. 
You know, and if there's and if there's yeah. anybody out there who still doesn't understand, that's why the Harlem Globetrotters only come to your town once a year and bring a team with them to play with. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because it's, enter- it's entertaining once a year, but it ain't entertaining every week. People want to exactly. see people want to yeah. see competition, and they want to they want a chance. They want to you know have a chance that that you guys might win. And the one thing you could say about Flair, and I used to travel with Flair in WCW, and he's a unique guy for sure. He's had his he story is. told. He's had his story told several times and he's admit that he's, you know, he's made mistakes. The one thing that I could say about Rick from bringing the enhancement talent up, if Rip, if, if Rick Flair respected you for what you did, whether it was you, whether it was Bob Cook, whether it was a Rip Rogers, whether it was a Joey Mags, uh, he yeah. would make you look like a million bucks and, yep. and, and give yep. you the chance to shine because he was confident enough that he could come back and win and cheat or, 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 or they were cut a promo afterwards that nobody else was going to ever remember that he almost lost a match on television to a Joey Mags or a Bob Cook. And, and he was one of the more generous people I think that I've ever seen when I was yep, doing it. Yep. If, if, and this is the key, if he respected you, if he, if he yeah, wasn't, exactly, if, exactly. If, he wasn't, if he wasn't quite sure, then he d- didn't give you as much, you know, that he, he would still give you yeah. a little bit, but he wouldn't give you as much. But if he knew that he could trust you, boom, he'd make you yeah. look like a million bucks. And yeah. I, remember, I remember, you know, people would get in line in Gainesville and Marietta and all these different places we taped to see who the, who, who Flair was wrestling because they knew they had a chance to be A, with one of the best and B, have an opportunity to yep. put it up, put it on their best of tape or something to show their grandkids. You know, I almost beat Ric Flair. So, uh, yeah, that's yep. awesome. Well, in 88, in 1988, they did a shit match. A shit was a sponsor, I guess, for for a Georgia championship. They did a shit match of the week each week with some kind of special highlighted match, and they put me and Flair on that thing. And you know, TV matches usually lasted three, four, five minutes, probably at best. But I think ours was like eight to twelve minutes, somewhere around in there. You know, it was so good. It, I mean, it was a, it was just a classic. I've got that on, like I said, on 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 our tapes. But uh, yeah, he he really was. And he, I saw him. Uh, Paul Lee over in Ringo, Georgia, does a fan fest every year. A real successful thing. Nice, real, real uh, six, seven, eight hundred people every year, thousand people. It's really good. And he was there at a couple of years ago, and I went. And he hugged my neck, you know. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't sign a lot of, a lot of stuff for people, you know. He doesn't do that anymore. But he, uh, I had a poster that, that with my, a thing on it for myself, and he signed it for me, hugged my neck, and all and all. So you know, it, it showed me a lot that I that gained respect over the years. You're talking, really talk, just me. to be clear, you're talking about Flair hugging your neck and signing it, not Paul Lee. Flair, no, but, Paul but, Lee didn't hug me. Flair did. Uh, and, and not, and, when you say Paul Lee, you're not. We're not talking about Paul Lee dangerously. The Paul Heyman. We're talking about a independent Southern wrestler named Paul Lee, who does sort of yeah, take yeah. off on on Ric Flair. Let me tell you what I saw at an indie show in Georgia a couple years ago, and you tell me if I was right or wrong because you know Paul a lot better than I do. He, you know, everybody goes out before the matches now and tries to sell gimmicks and, you know, you can take yeah. a picture for and get an autographed picture for, you know, however many, 10, 15 bucks. And that's just part of the yeah. game now. It didn't used to be, but it is. And you're silly if you don't try to take advantage of it at this point. It's, right, it's, you can right, right. Mu- you can make some pretty good money just doing that. But um, so they, the, the, I went to a show in Jonesboro, Georgia, and they had Jody Hamilton as the masked assassin. He was sitting there and Paulie was next to him. And Paul Lee had a banner because now everybody gets a banner put up, you know, and and to you know to try yeah. to get attention. And his banner said, "The Living Legend, Paul Lee." And I'm sorry, Paul Lee might be a hell of a worker, <laughs> a hell of a nice guy. He ain't a living legend. 
How and, and I was so upset because Jody Hamilton to me was was my mentor. I was so upset yeah, that he could yeah. put that up. I actually wanted to go cut a promo on him. He probably kicked my ass. Uh, but the promoter <laughs> talked me out of it. But I was like, how could you sit next to the assassin Jody Hamilton and put up a freaking sign that says "Living Legend Paulie"? And nothing against Paulie. He's just trying to make a living. Yeah. I get it. But yeah, right, use, right. Some, use, use some common sense. Jeez, I had to get that off my mind. It's been a while. Um, yeah. So anyway, so we talked about some of the most generous. Who were some of the stiffest? I know that probably the stiffest treated you different than they might have treated some guys. But who were, other than the Road Warriors, who were some of the stiffest? Was, uh, I know Kevin Sullivan was pretty stiff. He probably wasn't as, <laughs> probably wasn't as stiff on you, but uh, but he's still pretty stiff. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he, he was. He uh, I saw Kevin, as a matter of fact, at the last Charlotte Fan Fest. My table was right behind him. We hugged Dex and all and uh, when Kevin came out, when you know, when Kevin was a young guy, he was cut up. He was one of the one of the guys that, that you know everybody wasn't built like Kevin Sullivan when they came, when he came you know out. He he was cut up pretty good, and you know he was just a little stiff. But you know he pulled your hair, your hair was pulled. He either hit you, you were hit. You know, but uh, he was he was in there pretty good. A couple of those uh, there was a couple of uh, Russians that came by that worked with Ivan Kolov. Now I worked with Crusher Cruz, uh, Crusher. Uh, 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 what am I? Let's see. What's Nikita the name I'm looking at? I mean, Nikita Kolak. Yes, Nikita. When he first came in, of course, a, a lot of them, the Road Warriors, are when they first came in. But uh, I worked with Nikita a couple of times, and he he turned out to be one of the best workers in the business. I mean, he turned out to be fantastic. But uh, I worked with him when he first came in. And, you know, when those guys come on TV and they say, "I got to lay that stuff in there," you know, <laughs> that's all they hear. That's that, that goes in one ear and stays. And uh, they do lay that stuff in there. But he was he was pretty good. Uh, probably the, 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 one of the best workers I ever worked with that could be stiff if he could was Buzz Sawyer. I don't know if you remember Buzz. I, I but, do. I uh, never got to know Buzz. Oh. He was gone before I got in the business, mm-hmm. but I, I, I've heard a lot about him, you know, some good, yeah. some bad, but, um, I had good matches and bad matches. He could, he could tie you up if he wanted to, and there was nothing you could do about it. He could rub your face in the mat if you wanted to. I mean, there's guys like there's some guys in this business that you know, like Les Thornton. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember him, the world yeah. champion, junior champion. Sure. I, I worked with him a couple of times. Funny story. I worked with him in West Palm Beach one night when I was with the Florida Championship, and uh, we were doing a world championship match. And he was a good guy, and I knew him. From, I knew him back from Atlanta and different places. He came to Continental. You know, we were okay together, and uh, we were working a world junior title match in West Palm Beach, and. He had me tied up one leg. I couldn't move either leg, uh, <clears throat> either arm. I couldn't move. So finally, I told the referee, <clears throat> excuse me, I told the referee, I said, if he don't let me go, I can't move but one eyelash. So if he don't let me go, we're going to sit here for 15 <laughs> minutes. You know, you, and he was laughing. He was laughing behind because there's nothing. Some of these guys like Buzz and those guys, I mean, if they want to tie you up, you're tied up. I mean, I, I'm not a shooter by no means. Don't have an amateur background, a big amateur background. I can protect myself a little bit, but when you get guys like that, you know, you just at their mercy. It's funny when you mentioned the Road Warriors and Nikita Koloff, all those big muscle got green guys came out of the same school in Minnesota. Exactly. And, and exactly. He, he, same area. Eddie Sharkey, he would find he would go to the gym and find these big, yeah. uh, huge, good looking guys. And he'd train them for about two two months and then he'd send them out. Only took a bunch of them and Crockett and yeah. he'd send them out to a- AWA territories. And a lot of them did Russian gimmicks or biker gimmicks. And uh, and, and you know, they, they learned on the job. And it's funny because 
that was his style. Eddie Sharkey, the guys that came out of like Florida, as you know, like you're talking about Buzz Sawyer, guys like yep. that. They were all amateur wrestlers, not maybe the biggest yeah. guys in the world, but they could they they could take those big uh, muscle guys down and tie them up oh, to the knots yeah. and make them scream if they wanted to. So it's just back then, it was a ton of different stuff. Hey, appreciate your time. Going to wrap this up. Um, you yes, got a, we talked about you got a chance to go and do that match at Impact in Atlanta, where it kind of quote unquote all started, at least that part of your career uh, of booking the enhancement talent, stuff like that. Did you have any idea that you would get the reaction? I, I knew probably you knew you'd get the reaction from the crowd. Did you have any idea you'd get that kind of reaction from the from the talent in the back when you when you took that booking? No, I did not because I only knew if yeah, I knew D'Lo Brown and knew Tommy Dream and Rhino and a couple of those guys. We'd worked together a few shows, but I didn't know hardly any of those guys. Uh, I, no, was, I don't. I, I don't know hardly any of those guys. Uh, <laughs> it's they got a great young crew, but you know they're they're all yes. doing the business. So, but they but yeah. the respect that they showed for you, and it wasn't because somebody told told them go to the TV and show this veteran respect. It was because the buzz started going around during the show that you got to check out what's going to happen with this Johnny Swinger match because this seventy guy year old guy that you, that uh, that you know is kind of skinny. He could go. He could still go. And so people started buzzing about it and all of a sudden they started crowding i saw it because i was back there all of a sudden they started really? crowding around and then <laughs> you're, you know you're doing you're doing your moves you did a, a dive outside and the place went crazy i think it was louder backstage than it was in the arena uh and 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 i got goosebumps uh i'm so glad that they yeah. were able to capture video of of them of the of the uh and then swinger came back after he beat you cheated and beat you and they they all booed swinger out of the backstage area but i'm so glad that they got <laughs> he video. deserved it <laughs> yeah i was i'm so glad that they got video of of that uh because uh, that they showed uh during the next segment of you going back there because yeah. I, th I thought it was something really special and you know what it wasn't because somebody told them to uh it was yeah. because it was organic and they knew they were seeing something special and uh gave me goosebumps oh. and i wanted to have you on earlier but uh i didn't give want to give away what happened so i had told uh the people at impact that we'd wait but hey i'm so glad that um that you're able to come on and tell your story. That's what we do. We tell people stories and yours is fascinating. Right. And it's a business story, man. It's a, it's a, it's yeah, a story about, a, about a, a smart guy with two master's degree for the love of Pete. And, um, yep. and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, instead of uh, choosing his ego, he chose business and, that's a that's an important story, not only for that's a life lesson, not only for the wrestling business, but for life. You know, sometimes, you know, you, yeah, you may, you may yeah. not, you know, you may not have the razzless, dazzless job, but you may be making a lot more money doing what you're doing than, you know, than the razzly dazzle job. So uh, so yeah, thank you yeah. for coming on here. Tell your story. And where can people find you if they want to purchase your stuff? Well, uh, you know what? I, don't, I, I have. A, they can call me on this telephone number, and you can give me out anywhere you want to give it. I don't care because if people call me, I'm I'm flattered to do it. But I, I'm not in the computer in the internet world and social media. I, I just don't do it. They don't care a whole lot about it. But if you want to put this number out there for them, they're welcome to call me. I'd love to. I have videos, t-shirts, pictures. I mean, stuff from the old days and. You know, and, and let me just say this closing up, David. I, I know that, that I'm 70, almost 71. I've still been able to do what I love to do. But, you know, God's good, good to me. He's blessed me, and I could not do this without him. The greatest thing that ever happened to me was when Jesus saved my soul. And, you know, I, I try to give the glory back to him, and I try to give little testimonies everywhere I go to, to the kids and the people. But, 
you know, I know I'm well blessed and, and, and I couldn't do this without the good Lord. So that, that's where my strength comes from. And, and I'm, I don't know if I got 71 more years left in me, but I'm going to give it, I'm going to have any ever left I've got. And, uh, and I hope impact will invite me back because I was flattered with those, those guys. I was humbled and, 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 and there's a great bunch of guys and, you know, I really appreciate it. And I hope impact stays strong and, I know there's a lot of people out there fighting for the businesses and a lot of these guys trying to get a job and I wish them the very best of all. And, and just, I was just flattered that they'd even have me and consider me. Hey man, you're a class act and you have a great story. Thank you very much. And probably you should get somebody if you have kids or grandkids or something to get you on uh, Facebook, at least you probably make a lot. I need, money. <laughs> need, need to get somebody to open your account on Facebook and sell your stuff. Cause uh, that, uh, would yeah. help. that would help. Being an operator, answering your cell phone uh, uh, 24 hours a day probably isn't the best way to go. But uh, if you need any, if you need any help, let me know. Although I'm not that good at it either. But uh, hey, thank you, Mike. God bless you, and um, uh, stay too, safe during these crazy times. Hey, thank you all for letting me be on. Appreciate you. Wow, what an interesting career. What a humble guy. I want to thank Mike Jackson for telling his story. Uh, interesting that the day that he tells it, uh, the match with Ric Flair that he referred to was uh, kind of on the internet and, and, and a point of contention uh, for some people to the point that Dave Meltzer, like I said, commented on it. And um, like we said, Ric Flair, if he, uh, if he knew and trusted you and you got to work against him underneath, uh, could be the opportunity of a lifetime. And, you know, like you said, Mike Jackson still has uh, uh, highlight reels that he uh, has for sale through high spots of all those classic matches. And um, and I, I will tell you, and I think I mentioned this before, I've, I've never seen or heard of anything like what I saw, the reaction, the organic. And anybody that listens to this podcast knows that my favorite parts in wrestling are parts that are, are organic, where the crowd's not supposed to react to something quite the way they react to it and you just go with it. Uh, or backstage or, and you know, something happens that you're not expecting to happen. So it was one of the coolest moments of an almost 30 year career for this guy. And I uh, want to thank him for coming on and telling his story. And there's lessons in that story for sure. You guys stay safe. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this. You can follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R. Like to talk wrestling and um, been chatting a lot about a lot of different things. So uh, come join us and be a part of that and keep listening. Subscribe if you can and tell your friends, spread the word. City Ringside drops every Monday morning wherever podcasts are found. We will see you next week. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is an MJ Morning Show podcast quick fix on Radio Influence. You remember the most classic bit I ever pitched that MJ turned down, Mr. Stocking Face. Oh, that's right, Mr. Stocking Could we get away with that right now? (laughs) Why don't you tell everybody what... (laughs) Mr. Stocking Face was all about. Well, Mr. Stocking Face was a very simple idea. I thought it would be funny to walk into stores with a stocking over your face (laughs) and just uh, say it was, you know, because of almost like what we're going through right now. It's a filtration system as far as keeping viruses and health away and stuff (laughs) like that. And you would put a stocking over your face and just buy stuff. Don't say anything. Don't mention that you have a stocking on your face. Just say, hey, 
Here, can I get this five hour right. energy? Meanwhile, you have a stock on your face. For all and you want, like, we can't do that. You'll get yeah. shot. For all you wanted to walk at a 7 Eleven, Circle K, whatever, this was pre Wawa. So, for all you wanted to walk in like a regular customer and just do regular customer things inside grocery stores, convenience stores, and just perform regular customer activities just wearing a bank robbery or kidnapping stocking over your face like like pantyhose which you know smushes your whole face together smushes your nose down and everything and we did a test in the studio and i put on the stocking and i but hey is it illegal to wear stockings over your face that's that's my question is it illegal in many states and municipalities it's illegal to wear a mask in public if well, you are not anymore, baby. Yeah, not, now, not you're, anymore. Not, now you're yeah. citizen of the month. The MJ Morning Show podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, MJMorningShow.com, and RadioInfluence.com.